Welcome to the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined, as always, by Bazooka Joe Valtelini, mm. who's at the gym, Bazooka MMA. Yeah, I think I'm always at the gym now, it seems like. I yeah. think this is home now. We're just going to group it into home. I'm home. <laughs> Are you having fun out so there? It's... I know you just finished pro training. You have uh, Malcolm Gordon there. Uh, you have a visitor at the gym yeah. as well? Yeah, we had Tony Laramie coming in, which is exciting because his brother TJ just got signed. And I think those two young brothers are... Uh, could do good stuff putting Canadian MMA back on the map. So it was exciting to have him in and crazy to see such a hardworking kid with so much experience and being only 21 years old. It's just, uh, it's crazy to see. Yeah. Tony should steal, um, uh, Chris Hordesky's baby faced assassin nickname. Cause that guy looks like he's I think 15 so. years old. Oh yeah. We took a picture the other day. It's on my social media and it's like, uh, just looks like a little baby. It's really <laughs> crazy to see like it's a little baby, but then seeing him and Malcolm Gordon spar, wow like those guys just were just killing each other they're just happy fighting basically they fight each other in sparring which has been fun to watch well i saw that the guy who uh beat malcolm has another fight lined up have they called malcolm at all about a new another uh, uh coming months? not yet yeah we're actually just talking about uh albazi getting uh matched up and i think he's fighting uh i believe a good striker yeah, is howie it? and paiva mm -hmm. yeah and i think because uh, we we're hoping maybe the that other guy's opponent might be Malcolm's opponent. We're thinking we're just brainstorming. Who Paiva's opponent? Yeah, in his uh, in his glory fight, uh, not his glory fight, in his UFC oh, debut. Mark, Mark De La Rosa. He, was that who it was? I fought Mark De La Rosa recently. I'm trying to think of who um, else Paiva. Because Malcolm was telling me some maybe Chetnian name, some Russian. Is there a Russian fighter who fought that fighter in Fight Island? Oh yeah, yeah. No, sorry. Uh, yeah, the the uh, guy with alopecia. I forget his name. Yeah, we were thinking maybe him possibly because they fought around the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, so I, hate to, I hate to just call him the guy with alopecia instead of saying Ali. It's ah, something like that. I I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, there's so but many newcomers to the UFC mind. that I can't keep up. We've got six de debutants on the card this coming weekend. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. Pulling I have enough trouble. We have enough trouble with the current roster, and <laughs> it's just. Well, these but guys you got it. I guarantee now. by next week you'll have it. You'll know it all by next week. Yeah, I'll, I'll hit the books. I got to do some research and see see what uh, these guys are I'm all studying. about. But, uh, yeah, I mean, some of the, one guy just took a fight on like four days' notice, and uh, you know, you know how it is. They're try, just trying to find people, and uh, the contender series they're giving out contracts like Oprah's giving out cars. So I mean, uh, seriously, fun to watch. Yeah, it's like five contracts on that Dana yeah, White. Yeah, five two weeks ago, and four last four this week. So uh, and we've got a Same. Canadian on the show. Uh, next week, and Anthony Romero, who uh, is actually going to be on the podcast this week. Anthony Romero is going to be on the uh, on the Contender Series, the like second Canadian to compete this season. Very, very good fighter out of uh, Welland, Ontario. Yeah, I actually have never seen him or got to work with him or train with him, but I've heard amazing things. I'm pretty sure he's with a Mer uh, Niagara top team. Yeah, he is. And which has, you know, Prickett, uh, his coach, one of the top wrestling coaches here in Ontario for sure, if not Canada. So, I'm sure he's going to be strong. I heard he's undefeated, and I heard he's talented. So I'm actually really excited to see how he does. Not only is he undefeated, but if you look at the level of competition he's faced, like he's fought a really good level of competition. Like you, you're not seeing any cans on his resume. It's people that have good winning records that he's beating, which is I think that's the best way that you can enter the UFC. You know, a lot of these fighters on contender series they come in and they 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 get a win on contender series, but before that they haven't really fought a high level of competition. Um, yeah. And a lot of people are afraid to fight a high level of competition because they they don't want to. To get that that loss on their record because that that sticks out right so 
Um, there was a fighter, I think, last season on the Contender Series, whose name I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting at the moment, but he had... He, it took him a long time to get to the UFC because he kept taking hard fights on the regional scene. But now that he's in the UFC, I think that he's going to be more well-equipped than a lot of these others that get in because he's fought UFC-caliber opponents. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I Tony Gravely, that's his name. Is, it's the rush to get to the big show. But the problem is when you get to the UFC, there's no more easy fights. You have to fight the best of the best. So I think it's important sometimes to not overly rush your your way to the UFC. I think it's important to get good fights, the right fights. And I still think there needs to be that little bit more of that boxing approach to setting up fights, which means for those who don't follow boxing, boxers are almost fed opponents until they get to a certain level. And I don't think that's a real bad idea, especially if you see someone with talent and they're young. You don't want to over throw them to the wolves that quick just because they're in the UFC. So I think pacing the right guys is important. Now, before we get to UFC 252, while we're on the topic of Chris Prickett, Jasmine Jasadavish just got robbed. Did you watch that fight? I did. I actually did watch it. Do you agree I actually, with me? I'm not going to lie. I agree she got robbed. I, this, is the, I said, this is the first time in my life I said, usually I say they don't value kickers enough. I'm like, kick the leg, kick the bottom. Like, they're not scoring any of those. But I, at that point, Jazzy there, sure, her takedown should have given her the fight. Yeah, I, thought she, she, it won, was her I fight. thought she won the first and the third definitively. Yeah, but I was I was really impressed with her opponent. I'm not going to lie about that. The yeah, way she I moved, the opponent. way she used she her good. kicks, mm-hmm. her angles, her footwork, her distance control. I was actually really impressed with, you know, the, her opponent's footwork and, and striking. I mean, Jazz's wrestling and forward pressure, but you know, her opponent used that forward pressure against against her and used her kicks and well. So I was more impressed. Like I thought Jasmine won, but I was just more impressed that her opponent fought the way she did. I think that happens sometimes, though. When, when judges see fights where one fighter is expected to win and the other fighter does particularly well, I think they overcompensate sometimes. But I don't know how much they For know sure. about the fighters going in. That said, there was one thing I thought Jasmine could have done better. you know what that is? What's that? Leg okay. kicks. Yeah, when I knew she, that. She was circling. Or wrestle she kept circling. When you, when someone's circling, yeah. you leg kick in that direction. I I, I always yeah. I never understand why fighters don't do this because I um I'm not a fighter. I mean I'm not I'm not trained in that regard. But it seems to me that the the smart thing to do when you have a fighter circling in the same direction all the time is you let you kick the legs going that way. Well, that would stop them from circling. Say it for me because I have lost my voice yelling and screaming at fighters and coaches. I put out. So many videos on YouTube explaining that. If the opponent is against the cage of the ropes, if they're gonna you know they're gonna go one way, get ready and kick the leg when they circle in that they'll direction. Stop. It's a free kick. It's a free it's kick a and they'll free stop. Kick. That's what I do. So a lot of seminars I teach, it's funny because I call them free low kicks. So I teach people how to get free low kicks, and that's the basis, that's the main one to do. They're walking there, kick the leg. I, Jeez, I, yeah, I, was, I was yelling again. it out of my TV because she was landing good leg kicks during the fight, mm-hmm. but and she did it every now and then where 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 Elise Reed was circling and she would kick the leg, yep. but she didn't do it enough. You like you can just like you said, it's a free kick. I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I who would I mean, who would I get to disagree like, with you? But I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you can't block it. If you, the way I look at it is, if you step into that direction, you can't move and step at the same time. Yeah, and you that's can't why check it's it. free. Yeah, you can't because you have to put your weight down. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was frustrating. But, I mean, the first thing I thought of, though, obviously, was like, she's so close. She should be coming to work with me over here if she can, you know. I think it would be great to have uh, a few of those big wrestling kind of guys from those gyms to come and cross-train together. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because I thought Jasmine, her clinch was great. Yeah, her knees, absolutely. great. Mm-hmm. But she just needed that little bit of low kick, maybe a little in and out in angles. But did I think she definitely won that fight, but I think there needs to be that. I think her opponent made it trickier. That's the, I think that's for sure. The she threw a lot of stuff at her that I don't think she was expecting to see. That's for sure. Kicks. You know, a lot of MMA fighters aren't used to a lot of kicks. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and when you're getting kicked at different angles, you don't know how to block or react. So it kind of screws people up. Yeah, that's why I'm a big believer in using kicks. Sure. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. diversity of attack. Um, anyhow, the main event, UFC 252. Let's get to let's get down to business. We're eight and a half minutes in. We haven't even mentioned Cormier and Stipe yet. But uh, yeah, Stipe Miocic retains the title. And um, I thought he did. I thought this was the best he looked in any of the trilogy fights, and I don't think it was particularly close. Um, what do you think Cormier could have done better? And when you when you look at the eye pokes, I mean, everybody's making a lot of the eye pokes, but I mean, the thing about the eye pokes are like, let's say Goddard noticed the eye poke and and called timeout and looked at Cormier and then brought the doctors in. Like the best case scenario for Cormier there is a no contest, and if Cormier wants that to be his last fight. He doesn't want a no contest. He wants to keep going. Yeah. So I actually don't blame exactly. Goddard. Like, I, I mean, Goddard missed it for sure. But I just don't know what difference would have been made had he caught it. Would it have gone to the scorecards at that point? No, I think it would have just been a no contest. It would be a no contest. And there you go. But then you go. have to run it back. But, but I mean, Cormier wants to retire. Yeah. Or looking back, it's better a no contest than a loss on your last fight. Yeah, but Stipe would retain the title. I mean, you could call the trilogy a wash at that point in time because you'd be 1-1-1. One, one, and one. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I just don't see what the upside would have been if, if he would have caught the – if he would have – it's almost better he didn't see the eye poke in a way for Cormier because Cormier, yeah. I'm sure, would have rather continued fighting than have the doctor come in and stop it and call it a no contest and not get the title. No, it's just weird to see that Goddard didn't even give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, yeah. it was like, nope, that was a knuckle right away. It's kind of like – and you kind of have to give the fighter a little bit of a time. Like, I get it. I mean, you didn't see it, but it's almost like, you know, you didn't see it, hearsay kind of situation. But, I mean, if the fighter is complaining, like, oh, my God, I got poked in the eye. Like, I think you have to respect that a little bit. At least give it a quick second and not just go right away. I know there was not much time in the round, I think, when it happened. So I think that's why Goddard probably let it go. Yeah, well, Goddard didn't see it. I mean, that's that's the the, the fact of the matter, but... I mean, I yeah, but you didn't see fights. it. But you can't say it didn't happen if you didn't see it, right? You know for what sure. I mean? So, but Cormier's eye was also yeah. messed up before the eye poke happened, right? Like that's something that people keep pointing to, and it's true. But yeah. I mean, obviously, the eye poke didn't help him. <laughs> it didn't make the situation yeah. better. But uh, you know, that being said, Cormier came out and won the fourth round. Like that was the yeah. only round I gave him, and that was after the right after the eye poke, right? Like I, I had it forty nine forty six for Stipe. How did you have it scored? Um, I was leaning towards forty nine forty six as well. I thought the four nine forty six, yeah, four nine forty six. Yeah, I thought two people. Um, a lot of people were saying it was two two going into the fifth. I didn't really see it. I didn't really see it that way. I thought just uh, Stipe was doing enough. I thought the biggest adjustment he made was his ability to control DC against the cage. I think his way he glued DC against the cage. He got those underhooks and just made it very difficult for you know DC to use his takedown. So. I thought Stipe looked great athletically. I thought he looked great in his sh- shape. I thought, you know, he did just enough to do it. I didn't think it was the most exciting fight, to be honest. But uh, I thought the right adjustments were made for him to get the win. Yeah, and the thing about, uh, you mentioned it being 2-2 going into the fifth on some people's scorecards. I think a lot of people gave Cormier the first round. Because Cormier had that big shot at the end of the first round that didn't it didn't knock Stipe down, but it, it kind of wobbled him. 
I, yeah. I don't think you can give a guy a round on just that because I thought that Stipe dictated most of that round. I thought he had most of the most of the striking success, and uh, I don't think that you can take that round from Stipe just from that one shot. At least not in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I feel it. I just think his cage control. Like you got to think. I think in some of the last rounds he had DC pinned against the cage for like two and a half minutes or something like that. Like he really surprised me that you would think that you know it's again the small cage. I thought was crazy. I don't love it, to be honest with you. I think the small cage has made it look way too small. It changes yeah. game plans on people. Like, it's too – It's it's. it might not think of a big deal. And I've heard Dana White say it. He's like, there's no difference between a big or a small cage. I think they even gave statistics showing that there's more knockouts on a big cage than the small cage or something like that. But, like, the pressure, the wall control, like, it's it's closer. Like, I'm Dominic sorry. Like, said, Dominic Reyes was no, interviewed by Helwani say? this week. And he's facing Jan Blahovic now for the uh, light heavyweight championship. The light heavyweight, yeah. But uh, he, Reyes says they don't know if it's going to be on Fight Island or in Vegas. And he goes, it makes a big difference. He goes, he goes I agree. He goes, Us bigger fighters should not be fighting in the contender cage. He called it the contender cage. He goes, look at college sports. If you look at a football field, it's a smaller football field uh, in college sports. If you look at the basketball, you know, college basketball, the three-point line is farther back in the pros because the pros needed to adjust it because they're better. So the, yeah. these, these fighters that are higher caliber, he goes, he says, for me, it would be a big disadvantage to fight in the smaller cage. So, uh, yeah. you know, he, he, I agree. he mentioned that and, and he said that it does make a big difference and that he thinks it's ridiculous that they're using the smaller cage at, at the apex. He goes, and, and the only reason they're using that smaller cage at the apex is because it looks better for production. Like, that's all it is. Yeah. is. It looks better on TV. It looks cleaner. I was going to say they, they don't need the, the room for audience and people, so they could realistically put in a big cage. Yeah, well, that was the first fight, Cormier versus Stipe, where having no crowd there really made a big difference to me because the because you have the first two fights in your head of them fighting in these of how exciting arenas and it's so loud, but seeing a rematch yeah. like that in front of no fans, a, a fight with that like such big consequences for the history of the division, and it just felt weird. I don't know. It was the only time I've I've I, I felt like it was it seemed weird that it was in an, an empty mm -hmm. arena. Even like Usman versus Masvidal, which is a big fight, wasn't it? Didn't, didn't feel that weird. But that fight felt weird. Yeah. It's a smaller cage. There's no fans there. We we are used to seeing them in front of sold out crowds. It just you something know, felt off. Yeah, I I just think it's crazy that me personally, I've got it. It's become normal. This is normal now. The no audience, it's normal. Yeah, it feels normal I mean, too. I, it's just for that it one fight. It feels normal now. I think it's going to feel odd now seeing people. And hearing people is going to be odd now, I think. Well, I watched and the I NBA playoffs and they got the I fake fans. I value the strength. And, oh, yeah. yeah and the I fake fans the fake noise. Yet. I can't do it. I don't know. I can't do it. It, it just you don't distracts like it? me. It distracts me because I'm always looking at it like, oh, that's weird. It, it just, I prefer it just because I've watched like NBA Summer League in the past I used to watch a lot and it's at like a very small arena it's at UNLV and there aren't a lot of people there and it feels more intimate I think basketball um, without fans and without crowd noise feels more intimate I just I, I like yeah. it more yeah I don't mind it and I, I was gonna say like I don't mind the fighting with no crowd I do value hearing the noises mm -hmm. like sometimes when I'm watching like just hearing a big shot land like, I mean, yes, the reaction is beautiful when you hear people yelling and screaming, but the sound of that impact slapping, like, that to me is the beautiful sound. So to, to hear the shots, like, even me, like, I'm cringing hearing these shots through the TV, which is what I love, because I get that experience being a commentator live. When I see two heavyweights in kickboxing throw low kicks at each other full tilt, like, you hear, you see, you feel, and then you kind of get that feeling with no audience, and I... I, I 
gonna say I kind of like it. All right, I'm gonna ask you a tough question here because I think about this a lot. If you were to take every heavyweight in MMA history in their prime and hold a tournament, who would win? Who would win at every heavyweight in their prime? Yeah. Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I think a lot of people would say Fedor in his prime. Uh, my answer. I'm trying to think. Of, I'm I'm trying to think of Pride days. Where are we looking? Usada does it have to be UFC. Yeah, I'm, I'm or saying, I'm saying UFC current Usada implemented current UFC. Rules. Oh, current. Okay. Yeah. Like I'm you take you take today's school. you take today's rules and and whatever and the UFC cage and the, the octagon. It's going to be in the UFC, but you're taking all these guys. They get to whatever. They get to be in their primes again. They get to, they get to get go into a time machine. But the current state of the sport is as it is right now. Who would who would win the tournament? Yeah. Hmm. That's tough. I'm. I'm I got to be the champion. Would you put Stipe as one? I'd say. Kane, I'd say Kane Velasquez. I think Kane. I knew you were going to say that. I think that. a prime Kane Velasquez beats everybody. That. Yeah. I don't know. My answer is going to be very soon. Francis Naganu. I'm telling you. Francis, I have this, Francis I Naganu didn't compete in his prime. He's, he's like no, 33 he's in now. His prime. He's like in his prime, But I'm I guess. telling you, he is going to... I'm saying it here. He's going to he's gonna knock out Stipe. Sorry. I said it here. Francis yeah, Naganu we'll will knock Everybody out Stipe. Everybody said the same thing when they fought the first time. I know, but it's different. I'm telling you, he's a different beast, a different animal. He's 30 pounds of big, solid muscle, bigger... Like, I don't know. That guy, Francis Nagano, I'm telling you, I think he's the guy that's going to have the most title defenses. I think he's our next heavyweight guy. We'll Do you think he'll have the about. most title? Well, most title defenses is four, I guess, now. It's what, Stipe. three now, well, right? Three with in four, a row yeah. is the record, but four overall now with Stipe. Doing yeah, you're going to see it. Yeah, I mean. I think you'll see I mean, it. it. He won his last three fights in like, or four fights, I think and, it is, in like the span, less than five minutes combined. Something you can't, like you can't even wrestle him. If you go to shoot and grab his leg, his legs are huge, full of muscle, and he just pounds look at you the, out. Look at like, the Kane fight. Hands are too big. Kane shot on him, and he just fell, <laughs> like crippled. He crumbled yeah. to the floor. And yeah. uh, you look at the replay, and it was just a short uppercut. Like it's. The guy's but, power but that's the is biggest debate is Kane in his prime. Everyone just talks about how special it was. And I, I agree. He yeah. was like a lightweight in a heavyweight body. His conditioning was incredible. Well, boxing was he so can go good. five round pace. Like crazy. So his boxing was good. Everything. His ground and pound. When he was on top of you, he'd beat the crap out of you. Like he just relentless. It's up there. But someone like a, a power shot, like Fedor in his prime would have been fun with something like that. Yeah. But I think the game has also evolved so much mm-hmm. since then too, which makes it a little difficult. Right. So I think things have changed from that time frame too. I mean, people that argue Fedor is the greatest ever, like they look at him winning 31 fights in a row at heavyweight, which is crazy to think about. Like 31 yeah. fights in a row at heavyweight is no joke. He's heavyweight is an unpredictable yeah. division. But here's where I take points away from Fedor. And people get mad at me when I say this, but whatever, I'm going to say it. He fought in Japan where the wrestler, where the referees had earpieces and fighters have admitted that they have been were given money to throw fights. And that doesn't sit well with me. And then number yeah. two, his record in the U.S. is six and five, and it's not like he wasn't in his prime when he came to the U.S. He was thirty-three years old, which is for a heavyweight. When, that's kind of when fine. Strike Force was his first yeah. one, right? Yeah, when he, he went to Strike Force. Force. I mean, I just, I, I don't know. Something about it makes it difficult for me to call him the greatest heavyweight of all time. I think that his achievements put him up there. I mean, thirty-one fights in a row again, like at heavyweight. That's and if you look at who he beat, it's it's no joke. 
But uh, yeah. you mean you look at Kevin Randleman, you look at uh, Nogueira. I mean, he's, he beat some really high-level heavyweight competition. But uh, I don't know. I, I just with Stipe and the level of competition of the guys he's beaten in the UFC right now, it's the most evolved version of the sport. Two wins over Cormier, win over Francis, uh, wins over JDS and uh, and Verdum. Like I, I just think that his resume is tremendous. It's 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 going to yeah. be. It's a tough debate. I honestly, if you look at Fedor's oh, resume, it's very tough. Yeah, if you look at Fedor's resume. It's it's hard to deny him, but at the same time, there's there's things you have to take into account. Mm-hmm. It was also it's the really Wild West in terms it. of drug testing, but th- that's also a dumb argument, though, because if if let's say everybody was on performance enhancing drugs and pride, yeah, it's even whoever, yeah, whoever the, the best is is the best. I mean, like yeah. as long as the fights weren't fixed, then I mean, you know, I always give the example of the Lance Armstrong. My, I mean, Lance Armstrong, you know, he tested positive. I don't know. I don't know the exact numbers. But when they tested all of the other athletes, oh, I think the were. person mm-hmm. who ended up winning was like number 15 in the race. Yeah, I was like, okay, so come on. Lance Armstrong is the greatest cyclist of all time. Like, how can you take that away from him? If, if everyone is doing it at that point, it's a level playing field, mm-hmm. right? And that's why in so, baseball, that, it annoys me. I don't know why we're, we're moving over to baseball here, but it annoys me that Bonds and Clemens are not in the Hall of Fame and people from that era yeah. are in the Hall of Fame. Like, how, how can you keep them out but put other people from that era where you don't know the drug testing was not good? Like, you can't yeah. say definitively that those people weren't using it either. So why are you keeping just those two people out? And it was one of the most popular times of baseball when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were having those home run battle yeah. lots. Mm-hmm. And Bonds was like, that's when baseball was probably its most exciting time. For so, sure. like, I don't know what to tell you. So, yeah, it's, they the pro- can't take the, the benefits you got of these, one. And then... You got a bunch of old dudes voting on the Baseball Hall of Fame, and they're purists of the sport. Okay. If they were true purists, they would have stopped covering it when they did interleague play. That's my opinion. That's my hot take. You should have left if you're, if you're that <laughs> concerned left. with the sanctity of the game. Uh, all right, let's mm-hmm. move on to uh, what's next in the heavyweight division because John Jones has relinquished the light heavyweight title. Uh, we're going to have, as mentioned earlier in the show, Dominic Reyes versus Jan Bojovic for the uh, the now vacated light heavyweight title. Um, what do you uh, what do you think? Uh, is going to happen with the John Jones. Is? Yeah, I mean, it looks like Francis, Dana White has basically said Francis is next. He told Francis' agent, Markel um, Martin, who I heard an interview with this week, that Francis is next. But uh, is John, John just going to sit on the sidelines until like early next year before he competes? I think we've lost Joe here. He's, okay. uh, I think it's part... Oh, I, uh, I, I'm saying it's, it's probably part... Can you hear me? Okay. I got you. Okay, I was gonna say it's probably part of a part of a, a negotiation tactic. I mean, he's probably at this point realizes that it's very risky to fight someone like a Dominic Reyes again. It's they're not enough big enough names, so he might as well kind of use the name and his his belt to kind of promote something big in the heavyweight division. I think it's the right move. He doesn't look like he wants to be fighting that much often, and the light heavyweight division would be more about. You know, just dominating a division than really becoming the greatest of all time. And I think if he wants to be put in that greatest of all time, he needs to go to the heavyweight division. And I think he'll be compensated more for doing it. So I think it's the move for him. Well, I think he's already the greatest of all time, but uh, it certainly would would cement his legacy if he wanted heavyweight. Well, I mean, I think it'll take some of those like accusations and those picograms, and I think people will forget about it. A no, little they bit won't. More. They won't forget about it because the people that don't want him to be the best of all time because of that, even if he wins the heavyweight title three times 
times over, they're always going to hold that against him. Because I think that if you if you hold that against him, you don't think he's the best right. Like if you don't think he's the best of all time right now, then you based, never on, will. based on his yeah, you never will because he is based on his resume. He's the greatest of all time. If you look at the the killers in that division who he wiped the floor with early on, like look at how he beat Shogun Hua, how he beat Machida, how he beat Rampage. Yeah. You know, and he was what, like 22, 23 yeah, doing that? Exactly. Like, yeah. you just can't, like, in his only loss is that DQ, illegitimate DQ loss to Matt Hamill. Like, if you don't already think that he's the greatest uh, of all time, like, because of those allegations and because of the positive tests, you probably just never will. Yeah. Now I feel you. But what do you think his move is? Is it negotiation? Is he coming back? Or is he just going to do a Conor McGregor and keep teasing us? Well, I think him relinquishing the belt was him saying, I'm serious about this. I want to move to heavyweight. Now's the time. Let's go, come to the table. Let's work this out. But I think that uh, the fact that Dana White has said that Francis is next in line, it buys him some time because... Yeah, he needs to get bigger. Well, not just that. It's like if, if Stipe beats Francis or if Francis beats Stipe, no matter what happens, a fight with John Jones is, a, is the biggest fight they can make for the most part, aside from yeah. maybe Khabib and GSP. Do you let him skip the line at heavyweight? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't put him against somebody. Like, I, I just, I don't yeah, see the I point. I think the risk is Have him fight big. Derek yeah. Lewis. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Have him fight Curtis Blades. Yeah. I mean, they've already lined up Lewis and Blades, actually, it looks like. So, that's not even an option at this point. Like, who's who's he going to fight at heavyweight? Like, you're going to put him against Junior Dos Santos? I, I, I just don't know what you would do. If you had to pre- predict the timeline, what are you thinking? Early next year, I would imagine. It looks like December yeah, is when Stipe versus uh, Nganu is what they're hoping to set up. I mean, I think Stipe walked away from this fight with minimal injuries. And, um, yeah, that's that's uh, an interesting fight to me. Uh, I think I think John Jones, there's a lot of great matchups you can make with him in the heavyweight division. And he's still relatively young, right? So, I mean... He, I mean, now, now is the prime years for him. He's about thirty-three years old. That's like prime heavyweight years. So I'm, uh, yeah. I, I'm interested to see how he looks at heavyweight. Uh, but uh, man, a match, a, a matchup against either Stipe or Francis would be awesome. Oh, insane! Like, I, they have to save that fight, and then if he wants. But I think John Jones realistically is going to fight one to twice a year, probably for another two, three more years. So you got to give him those big super fights. I think that's the that's the matchup to make. But have a lot of fighters talking to you about um, are purses going down because of no audience, or is the UFC doing a good job at keeping fighters' rates where they are? I don't think they would be going down because of that. I mean, I know that the UFC is losing on gate, but the fighters never really got a percentage of the gate. So um, I imagine it's going to be harder to negotiate bigger salaries, which is what John John wants to do. John says that he makes about five million a fight, and I think he wants to make probably ten to fight at heavyweight and I just don't think yeah. that economically for the UFC right now that that's something that they they want to do um yeah. so who knows but uh I don't see audiences being part of the sport for a, a considerable amount of time um or any sport really in the, in the US uh their numbers are still bad and uh it would take a long time for them to get to a point where the numbers are good especially with the way that they're operating things right now so uh, and you know that's not a, a, a political commentary. It's just a matter of the the amount of people that live in in the U.S. and and how hard it is to stop the spread even in smaller countries. So um, I I think that uh, they have to go forward with an economic model that's going to allow them to hold these events with not only with no crowds but also with COVID testing and the amount of money that it costs to do those tests. Yeah. 
and the no gate, the extra cost. So it definitely as a as a financial part of the UFC, they are taking a little hit. I'm sure they're still doing well, but I mean, these fighters who are asking for the big paydays, like the Masvidal's and the John Jones, I think they're at a time where it's really difficult for the UFC to give them that money. Now, Daniel Cormier is uh, likely going to retire, but do you think there would be any way that he would come back? Is there any? If you're Daniel Cormier, what could they offer you that would entice you to come out of retirement? Hmm. I mean, I've heard rumors like maybe a John Jones, but I don't think there's much with him. I think he just. I don't know. He's been sound. I think it's his job, his commentary, the way he talked. I just genuinely think he's done. I mean, even the way he's talking, like, it'll never be okay. Like, just hearing him was like, I don't know. In every trilogy I had, I lost the doubles. And, like, he was just he's really down on himself. And that's what makes him great. But it's also what's going to keep him, like, hating himself almost in a weird way. It sounds weird that he's going to maybe leave the sport upset when he has accomplished so many amazing things. So I don't know. I think maybe if John – I don't think anything's worth it because he's a title guy. He wants world titles. I don't think he's into big super fights. I think if anything, it's just going to be a money value because there's no reason to give him another title shot anytime soon. Yeah, and there really are no storybook endings, it seems like, in in MMA. I mean, George St. Pierre money exception. But, I mean, why not? Like, I mean, you got to think he he left his last fight on a loss. If the UFC pays him a big chunk of money to do something, like, I can't see why he wouldn't want to jump on it maybe in a year. Mm, I don't know. I, th- I think he's kind of at peace with it. It seemed like when he did his post-fight interview, he was, he was bummed out about the eye pokes. But I think that he's kind of at peace with the fact that he's just not as good as he once was. I mean, that Daniel Cormier that showed up this past weekend – was a step behind Stipe. I think, and, and he said that that was a better camp than he had for the last fight and uh, that he was in good shape and that everything was, was going really well. But uh, he, he looked like he was just a step behind Stipe. Yeah, I agree. Didn't look himself. Didn't look like he pushed it enough. Didn't over, like, he didn't grind for takedowns. And I don't know. I, I think you're right. I think, honestly, 41 years old, I believe he is. That, that's You're getting up there at that point. So I think, you know, I if I was dc i would call it he's got a great job i I just realized now that i think he's probably one of my favorite of the commentators so keep him on keep him going keep him busy right now it looks like paul felder is just almost in every show which is great for him but yeah get dc he's got so much potential in other ways i don't think he should now i know you need to go but i want to get you out of here on this one question what do you know about foot drop foot drop Nothing. Okay. What is a foot well, drop? They were showing some – I saw some videos this week where if you're kicked to a certain part of the calf, and they, were, they showed some examples of this, that like there's like a delay in your body, and then eventually your foot just kind of like – similar to what happened to Sean O'Malley, and that's why I ask, where your foot just kind of yes. like – you lose your balance basically, and your foot just stops working. <laughs> I mean uh, yeah. I'm just trying to figure out how Sean O'Malley suffered that injury. And from watching that fight, what, what do you take from it? Well, I had to watch it twice because I was trying to look back and analyze where and what happened. And to me, it looked like it was the low kick that was basically just on the knee and just below the knee, to be honest with you. Because I'm like, did he hurt his uh, Did he hurt his foot attacking those leg kicks? Because his leg kicks were phenomenal. They were coming hard, fast, really good. So I'm like, did he hurt his foot throwing them? But I think he took a low kick, to be honest. And that low kick shut that calf off. 
Yeah. So, so, so you think, I don't know you if that's, that's the reason happened. or not. Mm-hmm. I think he took the kick and that messed up his leg. You know what? That's when I looked back. I slowed it down. I tried to look at it. I think him taking it was it. I think if you're Sean O'Malley, that's the best way you can lose a fight at this stage in your career. Because I think that a lot of people still have questions about how that fight would have gone had that injury not happened. Now, whether or not the injury was, um, you know, happened because of a, a blow that he absorbed from Cheeto Vera, that, that, that's still a little bit up in the air. So I still think there are questions about how good Sean O'Malley can be from here and that people are not writing him off as a result of this one particular loss. And you learn a lot from, from a loss. Sean O'Malley has been very vocal about the fact that he knows that his stock will drop if he doesn't win fights. He knows that winning is what keeps him um, in, in the public perception, what keeps him interesting to people, what keeps his popularity up. And winning is important to him. And uh, I, 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 don't, I, don't think that, I think that he took this fight seriously. I don't think that he was slacking. And uh, I still think that that injury leaves questions in people's heads about well was it a fluke you know how would it have gone if he w- if that wouldn't have happened you know was he the better fighter and i think that that's the, the a good way to lose the fight because it doesn't you know people don't write you off it's not like he got flash knock knocked out or anything like that right yeah. but i mean that elbow he took was pretty bad that was a bad elbow that but elbow the elbow the was, like he literally elbow, just like stiffened up yeah. and but that elbow only happens because from his the body, yeah it stems from the injury like yeah. you know yeah but the what did you take from the injury? Oh, he looked great too. But I still think O'Malley, the way he strikes, the power he had, I think he would have done. I think he would have gotten the but win personally. But that's why it's a good loss, right? That's why. That's because, it. because yeah. you still have that in your head, and you don't think that he lost to a better fighter necessarily. Um, I think that the perception around him doesn't get that much worse from that loss because it wasn't a particularly bad loss as a result of him being outclassed. It was an injury. And have you heard any information from him about what he, what they think caused the injury? No, they haven't said anything about that. They haven't been. Yeah, I've been looking. Like even my dad watched it. My dad, you know, doesn't he watches once in a while, but he's even been asking me what's happening with the kid because he's all excited to know. Yeah, he's I'm, getting into it now. I, I'm not sure if they'll admit it. Like I'm not sure. Well, I'm not even sure if they know really. Like if a leg just kind of shuts down on you out of nowhere. It's hard to know exactly why, right? It could have been from him throwing. But, it could have been from another kick. Who, who knows? I thought a lot of times with his hard kicks, maybe he broke his foot kicking, which happens so many times. So maybe he threw a nice kick and maybe it hit the shin and he broke his foot. So I initially thought that. But when he started limping and when he started walking funny, it's after he took one of those hard low kicks just on, like just under the knee it looked like, on the knee just under which, again, a lot of nerves and a lot of – that's the biggest thing. When you hit the side of the calf, you when you hit one of those nerves, like the calf shuts off. You're not used to taking calf kicks. So, I mean, that's not a conditioned part of the leg. So it's really easy to finish someone there after one or two kicks. But yeah, I'm curious. I hope he comes out soon and tells us what it was. Absolutely. And hopefully we see him back again soon. Uh, Frankie Edgar, plus 225 against Pedro Munoz this weekend in the main event. Munoz minus 265. Edgar's debut at bantamweight. Well, that's a buyer beware situation for me if you're going to bet on on Pedro Munoz. That seems like a high line. Yeah. I mean, Munoz has been looking good. So, I but Frankie Edgar, OG. I mean, I'm I'm excited to see that one to be honest with you. Um what would you take? Would you take the underdog? Yeah, I think I would have would to. Take... I mean, it's not something I'd be super confident in, but I, I certainly be, would be more confident taking Edgar than I would Munoz. Not that I, not that Munoz isn't a great fighter. It's just you see that kind of a number next to Frankie Edgar's name. Frankie Edgar, in his career, as a plus 200 or higher underdog, is 3-1. and one. So, I mean, you know, 
That's All right. Something, something That's something our underdog on. bet. I mean, if yeah, That's maybe. Underdog maybe. bet we're going for. I'm just saying I'd be more confident in that side is all. But uh, anyhow, Joe, i got to let you go. I know you've, you've got to go and uh, teach some classes. you got yeah. some students at the Before gym. Before we go, I want you to give me one fight because, to be honest, I don't know many of the fighters on this upcoming card. Can you give me a, a fight or two to watch to get excited for coming up this weekend? Well, T- uh, Timur Valiev is making his debut. He trains with Frankie Edgar, uh, a very, very good fighter. was in the uh, World Series of Fighting, PFL beforehand. Uh, very talented kid. Um, I think you'll see some good stuff out of him this weekend. Austin Hubbard versus Joe Selecki is a great evenly matched fight. Um, I think okay. we saw what happened with Hubbard when he fought Max Roshkop, who's since been released from the promotion. I would have liked to talk to you about that, but we can touch on that another time. Um, I think Hubbard uh, probably shouldn't be the underdog in that fight, but that's a really good fight, and I think Selecki's a solid fighter, solid up-and-coming fighter. Um, and then you've got Alonzo Menefield coming an event against Ovin St. Preux, who's moving back down to light heavyweight. Uh, that's a good one as well. Manyfield coming off a loss to Devin Clark. I think he's going to be motivated to get that win. But Ovin St. Preux, as you know, is not a pushover. Yeah. Uh, Manyfield looked like he was a good wrestler. Was that, am I thinking, the no, right, uh, the right person? Good, Manifield's a very good striker. I think More of the striker. Known, okay. Yeah, that's what he's more known for. All right. So there you go. Well, noted. Noted okay. and ready. Yeah, yeah. yeah. take notes. And uh, we'll uh, we'll get back to this next week. We'll uh, We'll recap the card. But we've got some guests to get to. Uh, we'll start off with Frankie Edgar, who's uh, in the main event. It's uh, always a pleasure catching up with Frankie. Uh, we've got him, and then we'll also get the interviews right after him with uh, Pedro Munoz, as well as Anthony Romero, who will be on uh, next week's uh, Dana White Contender Series. Uh, thanks, Joe. Appreciate your time, and uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, stay tuned right now for some interviews, uh, and uh, thanks again. He makes his bantamweight debut this weekend against Pedro Munoz. He is the answer. Frankie Edgar, the former lightweight champion of the world. What's this weight cut been like? It's your first time doing it for 135. You're, uh, I guess, about you know less than 24 hours away from weighing in. So what's what's it like? It's not bad, uh, honestly. Um, it's very, very comfortable to make a 45. I just started uh, you know, a lot sooner. I was a lot cleaner on my diet. Um, you know, a client from the USCPI set me up with a great nutrition plan, and I executed it. When you were moving down from 55 to 45, was there anybody that said, hey, maybe you can try 35, let's push you in that direction? Did that ever happen, or was 45 what you had your eyes set on at the time and your coaches were good with that? Yeah, no, my coaches right away were trying to tell me I could make 35 as soon as I was going down to 45 because I seen how easy it was. So, uh, But I was obviously reluctant. Um, you know, I had my eyes set on 45 at the time. Do you ever think back about what it would have been like going down to 35? You know, you've got a, a prime Dominic Cruz against the prime Frankie Edgar. Like, that would have been one heck of a fight. I mean, yeah, the possibilities would have been, you know, pretty interesting to think about it. But, uh, you know, I, I'm happy the way things went they did. You know, I, I proved that I could fight, you know, across three weight class or at least two weight classes right now. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to prove that I could fight across three. Now, right now, we've got uh, the new champion, uh, Piotr Jan. You have uh, Corey Sanhagen facing uh, your old training partner, Marlon Moraes. But they haven't announced a top contender yet or, or a title challenger uh, at 135. You know, a lot of people say that Aljamain Sterling is the obvious choice, but we know how these negotiations go. Um, if you get a win this weekend, do you feel like you might be able to sneak in there and get a title shot at 135 for in a third division? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to go. It's really not up to me. Um, if they offered to me, I, of course I would take it. You know, who wouldn't? But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what's what's going on with that. Uh, I'm sure Dana's going to announce something soon, I imagine. But, uh, you know, I'm just worried about Saturday. Obviously, you got to, you know, take care of that first. 
I read the piece in ESPN that came out today that Mark Raimondi wrote that you didn't really know what water loading was. You were calling uh, Clint Wattenberg from the, the PI and asking for tips on how to cut the 35. What, what was the biggest um, advantage that you had this time around? What, what tip did they give you that really helped you cut down uh, to 135 safely and uh, in an efficient manner? I just think the plan, you know, they gave me. Um, it was very easy to follow. Uh, Eat Clean Bro is a meal prep company that I work very closely with. Uh, they have an a la carte menu. I was able to order uh, exactly what I need. Uh, my wife, thankfully, you know, organized that for me, uh, you know, made all my meals. And, you know, with Clint's plan, it was just, you know, re- really, really thoughtless. Has training been um, effective for you for this particular camp because of how you and Mark Henry have always done things? You know, I, it's, it's always been kind of a smaller environment, a more insular environment with Coach Henry. So did that work to your advantage uh, during this time? Honestly, things seemed pretty normal. You know, obviously we are, you know, our, the workout partners might have been a little bit, a little bit limited, but um, you know, we got what we needed. We, uh, uh, we're kind of, like you said, we're a small kind of a team anyway, so it wasn't that much of an adjustment. Your training partner, newer training partner, Cody Garbrandt, is getting a, a shot at the flyweight title. Uh, what do you think that means to him, and and how excited are you that he has this opportunity? Yeah, I think that's great, man. Uh, you know, Cody's a big, big name, and uh, I think he's gonna bring a lot of excitement to that division. I think he has all the, the 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 ability to go and snatch that title. Do you think flyweight is on the horizon for you as well? I'm just asking this as, mostly as a joke. <laughs> People always ask you to move down. Maybe maybe 125 can be made now. No, nah, man, the buck <laughs> stops here, my man. <laughs> <laughs> What's the lightest that you've been so far? Have you done a cut down to 135 uh, as a test, or is this the first time you're actually gonna step on the scale at 135 pounds in a long, long time? Yeah, no, this will be the first time. I haven't been uh, down to 35 since my senior year in high school, so 20 years ago. And what's the lowest you've gotten so far? Is that where you're at right now? Yeah, where I'm at right now is definitely the lowest. So I only got maybe three pounds to go. You know, when I go to Las Vegas in the summer, coming from Toronto, and I look at my phone and it says what the temperature is, it like doesn't look real. Is that how you feel when you step on the scale right now and you're in the, in the like 30s? For sure, man. It brings me back, you know? This is how I'm getting my – you keep my youth. I, I just keep going back to what I weighed when I you know, was 18 years old. What's the heaviest you've been during your UFC tenure? I mean, when you were fighting at 155, what were you walking around at outside of the cage? Uh, honestly, I, I think I walked around heavier at 45 than I did at 55. Um, at 55, I probably walked around 58. Uh, you know, at, at 45, I probably walked around 60. Um, for this fight, I made sure I didn't get over 60 at all and, uh, and really once, you know – once the fight got announced, I was pretty much 55 and then slowly worked my way down. I mean, you hear, you hear this kind of thing, and it's, it's interesting because I spoke, I spoke to uh, Dustin Poirier, and he said he's never going to cut the 45 again. When he fought McGregor, he said he was in the 190s when he started his camp to cut down to 45. And then when he got into the cage against McGregor, he was like near 190 pounds. He had put on another 45 pounds. <laughs> it's pretty amazing how much weight people have been cutting. Uh, and meanwhile, you were walking around at like 58, 60, uh, and... and going to 55 and 45. Uh, now that you know how to effectively cut weight, has it really changed uh, your outlook on the sport? I mean, if anything, it just shows that, uh, you know, my skills, my heart, and, and my determination has got it done for me all these years. So it's not so much in how big yards, you know, it's how you utilize your skills and, and put them to use. And I, I think I've done that better than anybody uh, in this sport. Yeah, it's a great point because, like you said, you, you walked around at 158 when you fought at 55. Like, I'm sure some of your opponents were walking around in the 190 range and you were able to just completely out-technique them, out-skill them, and out-finesse them. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, I remember my first fight in the UFC, I was walking to the weigh-ins, and that's when I was even lighter. I remember I went and stopped in, at, at the food court in Mandalay Bay and ate a cheesesteak before the weigh-ins. I didn't want to weigh in too light. 
are you mostly fighting now for the love of the sport? I mean, your legacy, I think, is, is etched. You, you're going to be considered, um, you're going to be a Hall of Famer, and, and you've, you've fought for the title on, on so many different occasions. Right now, you're just kind of playing with house money. Is that how you feel? Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I can, I love what I do. I get up every morning. I get to work out for a living. I mean, uh, if you told me that when I was a kid, I, I wouldn't believe it. So, you know, I, I enjoy training. I enjoy pushing myself, and this is all fun for me. Do you have a lot of interests outside of the cage? You know, uh, I believe you've worked in the past with Eddie Alvarez, and, and he's uh, kind of a master at, at making money doing things outside of fighting. Is that something that you've gotten into and that you're setting yourself up for post-career? I definitely, you know, have some, some things that, that I've, I've been working on. You know, I know that the fighting's only going to last so long. I'm, I'm involved with the UFC gym. Uh, you know, I own a portion of a wrestling school. And, uh, and Eddie is my financial uh, advisor right now, so he's giving me some good tips. <laughs> yeah, Eddie, Eddie wants people to, to give him a call. Like, it seems like Eddie really uh, cherishes that kind of this, this role of being a financial advisor. And I know James Krause is kind of the same way, too. I'll tell you what, man, Eddie gave me some great tips, and uh, you know my portfolio is doing pretty good, so I would definitely not hesitate to reach out to him. It's pretty amazing, because Eddie grew up in, in the poorest of circumstances. Like Eddie was basically raised on the street. Uh, you know, as, as uh, someone who grew up that way, it's pretty incredible that he's been able to learn all of this. No, absolutely, man. Uh, Eddie's a very smart guy, maybe not formally with uh, you know degrees and whatnot, but uh, that doesn't matter. He, uh, he knows how to put his, uh, his money to play, and... Um, and he's obviously smart, and obviously I trust him. Yeah, and degrees don't really matter. It's it's a matter of, of how much risk you're willing to take, and and you know how much you have confidence in your abilities in, in that world. And Eddie seems to have the utmost confidence in his abilities to to maximize his profits in any anything that he takes on. No, exactly. Yeah, and I'm I'm excited to see him get back in the cage as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so who did you work with for this camp? Um, yeah, I had Tamor Valiev, who's, uh, you know, making his debut here with me as well. Uh, Cody Grandbrandt came down and uh, a couple of uh, local guys with me, um, that, that, that are coming up in the, in the Jersey scene. Yeah. Tamor Valiev, that's an exciting debut, uh, this, this coming weekend. I know his fight got pushed. Um, he's got a new opponent this time, but tell me about him. Yeah. I've been training with, with, uh, Tamor for about seven years now. He's, uh, he's probably the first Russian guy we started training with and, uh, you know, Dagestani guy, and he, he's a stud, man. He could do it all. Great pace. Uh, also along uh, Tiger Maga. Um, I think he's, I, I, I don't know his whole name, but we call him Tiger Maga. There's a lot of Magas out there in, in Dagestan. And, uh, you know, he actually has a win over Peter Yan. So uh, he's been training with us as well for this camp. Tell me about how good Zabit's brother is going to be. Uh, Zabit's brother, I think he's 19 years old, man. He, he's a stud, you know. Um, when Zabit was in town getting ready for Yair, he was really helping his brother out, uh, you know, giving him great looks, and uh, you know he's gonna have a bright future, that kid. Yeah, so that fight's been pushed back as well as a beat against Jair. Apparently, it might be happening in October, from what I understand. But uh, how helpful are you to Zabit, given that you have a win over Jair? Yeah, you know, I can give him some insight. I'm really not the the, the best look for him. Obviously, I'm a lot different in, uh, in size wise for uh, than than Jair, but uh, I'm giving him some tips and, and, and things that I think uh, you know Zabit can take advantage of. What can you say about Pedro Munoz, your opponent? Uh, I'm sure you've watched a lot of his tape and, and are quite familiar with him. Uh, what unique challenges does he present? I mean, he's very heavy hands, um, great chin, hard to take down, and, and a superb submission game. So, you know, he, he's very well-rounded, and um, he's going to be a big challenge for me. When you say that someone has heavy hands at bantamweight, though, and, and, and the kind of power that you face, I mean, facing like the likes of Gray Maynard and some of these bigger guys, do you feel like you're very well-equipped to handle guys with big power? Because 135, there are a lot of guys with big power at 35. I mean, look at the champion Peter Yan, your training partner Cody Garbrandt is now going down to 25, but there are a lot of people that, that are known for having big punching power in that division. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, just because I take punches at bigger weights doesn't mean, uh, you know, these guys don't hit, hit hard. You know, they may be coming in a little quicker. Uh, I'd be naive to think that, uh, you know, I can't be hurt at, at any weight class. So, uh, you know, I just got to make sure I'm sharp. You know, the idea is not to t- be able to take the punch. The idea is, you know, not get hit with it. Do you feel like you're the best version of yourself? Or, or because you've gotten older, you're realistic and you know you have to kind of adapt to how your body's changing, how your movement is going to change it, and maximize your best skills now versus what you had, say, 10 years ago? You know, I really don't feel like I've slowed down. Um, I've had experience and, and, and savviness and, and knowledge that only comes with being in the game for as long as I have. All right, Frankie. Well, it's a pleasure speaking with you. We look forward to you in the main events on TSN here in Canada. Yourself against Pedro Munoz, your bantamweight debut. We've uh, been looking forward to this for some time, and I wish you the best of luck. Thanks, Aaron. Pleasure talking to you. He's in the main event against Frankie Edgar this Saturday night. It's on TSN. It's Pedro Munoz in the bantamweight division welcoming the answer to the division. Uh, how's everything going with you, uh, Pedro? Everything's going excellent, man. Like, you know, by week, um, you know, drop a little bit, a little bit, few pounds. We have to, to, you know, usually to do every every single fight. And this one's not different, but everything's going great and everything's going smooth. It is a little bit different. You're welcoming a, a legend to the division. His first ever fight at Bantamweight. Is that exciting for you? Super excited, man. Super excited. You know, Frankie Edgar is the... You know, he's a guy that, you know, has a lot of lot of names there in the sport and has been done a lot of stuff and fought many times. And, yeah, this is definitely definitely something that I'm looking forward to doing. You know, welcome a, a former champ, a legend to, to the division. Now, uh, the bantamweight division right now has a new champion, Piotr Jan, and they've made a fight between Marlon Moraes and Corey Sanhagen, but they haven't announced who's facing Piotr Jan next. And, you know, a lot of people think it's going to be Aljamain Sterling, but we know how negotiations go. Do you feel like a big win this weekend could help you maybe skip the line and, and fight Jan next? Yeah, I do think so, you know. Uh, I do believe that if I go there and make it like a big statement, you know, against a former champ and, you know, a guy like has a big name like Frankie Ediger, um, I do believe that I have like a huge chance to, you know, to jump in there and get a title shot. Now, I wanted to ask you about uh, your former training partner, Colby Covington. He's left American top team. I know you and him got along. I mean, he didn't always get along with all of the different Brazilian fighters uh, at the camp. But have you spoken to him? Are you still in touch with Colby and still friends with him? Uh, yeah, we're friends. We, you know, I, I don't, we don't talk. I don't see him, you know, since he left American top team. Like, the, the type of friendship we, we have or we, or we had it were just more through, you know, through the gym. I used to walking around and to say what's up to each other and talk a little bit but since he left American Top 10 I haven't seen him and just lately it was his birthday I reached out you know I texted him he texted me back so that was the last time that we kept it um, that's the last time we, we spoke do you think it was a mistake for him to leave it was a negotiation there was a, a talk that was going through the gym you know I really don't know you know, specific what happened, you know, I, I tried not to get involved with things that, you know, has anything to do with me, things like that. You know, America Top Team is a, is a huge gym, you know, Dan Lambert and Conan, all the coaches there, they, they they do an amazing job. And I really don't know specific what reason. No, I never had the chance to talk with him. I also never asked nobody what reason he left the gym and 
how that, you know, so I really don't know, like, what's happening, you know, or what happened for, I see that <clears throat> lately has, you know, him and, and Jorge, they were going back and forth, I, you know, Jorge is an amazing guy, too, I, I literally have no beef, I have no beef with nobody there, everyone's really good, even, you know, George Mazidal, too, he's, a hard worker. He's always there in the gym, training. You know, treat everybody really good, and you know. So I, I really don't know. You know, I don't know um, what happened. You know, so I, and just like I just kept to myself too, not asking what reason. You know, so I, I think this is, it was not just a part of. I think it was not my business. You know, so I just kept to myself. <clears throat> so, which of the great American top team coaches will be in your corner this weekend? Oh yeah, uh, corner head coach Patel, the Muay Thai coach uh, Macahon Luciano, and a good friend of mine, Michael, uh, the guy that he he doesn't train America top team. He trains uh, at Kings MMA. I met him, you know, through those years that I used to live in LA and train in Los Angeles, and we're a good friend. Also, you know. Um, we're good training partners. You know, we know a lot about each other, training wise and stuff like that. So, you know, that's a part of my, part of my team, part of my corner as well. Is this the first time Cattell's been your head coach? No, actually, actually, I haven't been working with Cattell since the moment that I, since the moment that I went to, to American Top Team, um, and then lately. Starting training with Anderson again, and then for this fight, I wanted to go back and train with Cattell again. He's you know a great coach, and it was just a it was something that I wanted just like you know to change a part of this training camp. And yeah, he's a really good coach. We trained before, you know, we we have a lot of stuff in common, and yeah, so he's uh that's uh he has oh actually when I fought Cody Gabrin. He was in my corner, and and now he's in my corner again. Now, if you were to take the bantamweight division, the the top three or four fighters, who, in your opinion, are the top fighters outside of yourself in the in the division? If you were to rank them personally, the champ, Peter Yan, tough, you know, really good, really good fighter. Marlon Moraes, really good. Aljo, really good. Even Cody Sede Hagen, really good. Uh, Cody Gabrin too, you know, my dad that I fought two fights ago. So yeah. So that's uh that's five guys that I think they're 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 good and they're part of my division. Even though, you know, uh I heard that Cody Gabrin might gonna going down and fight for the flyweight title. But yeah, so that's a, what that's those five fighters that I think they the best fighters in my division. Yeah, that's official now. Actually, Co- Cody is moving down to flyweight to, to fight for the the flyweight championships. That's a a pretty big move for him. Yes, it's definitely it's definitely also uh, something really good for his sport. You know, even though remember like I think a little more than like in a year ago we started like hearing humors that the division is gonna end it up and things like that. So and all of a sudden, you know. They spice it up that division. Henry, TJ, now uh, 
the the god of war i forgot his name now cody gabriel you know a former champ going down to the flyweight division so it was really good man i'm happy for people that fight flyweight division i didn't want that division to just disappear you know so they have so many great athletes so many great fighters in that division you know um guys that i trained american top team as well so i'm i'm excited you know it was, it was, i think he deserved that you know he his last fight against Rafael Sonson was it was a big statement you know and it makes sense for me he's going down and going straight for the title what do you think of going on a bit of a legends tour after you face Frankie Edgar would you like to face Jose Aldo is that somebody that you'd like to face in the division uh that's one of the ideas that I have as well you know um depending on how Saturdays go and looking forward to to jump right there and if I can get you know a chance to fight for the title not Jose Aldo is a good fight as well and yeah let's see what happens you know so I'm definitely focused right now for my next bout you know very excited and you know and then after Saturday night let's see what's you know let's see what what can happen what could happen what did you think of the co-main event this past weekend uh, Sean O'Malley against Cheeto Vera Actually, I I was telling a lot of people, you know, I know I know I know Chito Vera, I know uh, he's tough, and you know, not saying Sean Matt is not, but I really think that people was hyping him a lot, you know. Um, he has a lot of skills, long, you know, seems like to be a good fighter, but I think it was people. I think people was just in, uh, under underestimate. Uh, Chito Vera, um, and then I was like in a in a I was like in a almost like in the same situation when I fought Cody Gabriel. They were literally like was you know thinking that Cody Gabriel was going to go there and finish me, and extremely the opposite happened. And I was not surprised. I know Chito for a long time. We kind of like have been fighting USC for almost like the same amount of. He got signed probably like the same year or a year later, and I know him a little bit. Not in a, not not a lot. Just like we fought many times in the same card, and you know we talk a little bit. And he seems a good guy. And besides that, he's super tough, man. And you cannot underestimate, you know, any fighter in that any UFC. We're talking about like the best fighters in the world, you know. So anything can happen and you know in a good in a good point of it it was just what happened last Saturday you know so I was definitely I was I was rooting for Cheeto and was happy to see him with the victory having watched that fight how do you think that injury happened oh actually I don't know if it was because of the kick or he just twisted the ankle or something like that Uh, I really don't know I really don't know what reason that he, he got hurt. I don't know if he hurt in training. I don't know if he hurt in that fight. So to be honest with you, I don't know. Well, Pedro, I always enjoy speaking with you. Uh, I wish you all the best this weekend against Frankie Edgar. A big fight for you. And I uh, can't wait to see what happens this weekend and what's next for you. So I appreciate your time. Thank you. Sure. All right, he is Anthony the Genius Romero, and he's one of the top up-and-coming Canadians in mixed martial arts today, undefeated, 
How did you get the nickname The Genius is my, uh, my first question. You didn't take it from Lanny Poffo from the WWF back in the 80s, I would imagine, because you're a younger guy and you don't get that reference. Uh, and no, it's, uh, it's from one of my old coaches. Uh, I always train smart and um, I fight smart as well. I don't get hurt uh, too, too much in, uh, in my fights. Um, so I'm, that's kind of where the idea comes from and training smart and, and fighting smart. I read a quote of yours about how you feel like too many fighters focus on flashy stuff, on um, more quirky techniques, where you feel like as long as your fundamentals are at the absolute top, that's where you're going to have your success. Exactly. Like, uh, if you look at uh, George St. Pierre, one of the best, the best Canadian MMA fighter in the world uh, or in, in Canada, and um, when you watch his fights, he uses his jab, just simple things. Uh, goes for a takedown, doesn't throw too many combos. Uh, very, very simple, a simple style. And it, you can see over the years how he dominated his division and his weight class. Uh, so, yeah, that's a great example of, of why I believe that basics are, are super important. So tell me about yourself. Uh, where did you grow up? How did you decide to get into mixed martial arts? Um, give me a little bit of background on Anthony Romero. Uh, yeah, so I grew up in Welland, Ontario. Um, still here, living uh, in Welland. And um, I started martial arts when I was five years old. It was uh, I did a little bit of karate, but I don't really count it because it was like maybe a couple of months in it. And uh, but I, I really started uh, getting serious in, in taekwondo. Um, I got my black belt uh, eventually, uh, but I just came to a point where I, I wasn't really, really um, like satisfied with what was going on. So I, I wanted to try something else, and I saw a UFC fight uh, with Anderson Silva and Patrick Cote. And uh, I wanted to try that. Uh, fortunately, a, a gym opened up close to my house that same year, and I just started and uh, kept competing and and um, going traveling everywhere and, and uh, winning medals and all that. And, uh, and then eventually, I turned 18, and that's when I could do MMA legally. So, so before that, what, what sports were you um, winning medals in? It was different, I guess, different facets of MMA. Yeah, uh, so I, I would compete in jujitsu. Uh, I went. I was on the national team for kickboxing, uh, so I traveled to Brazil for the Pan Ams and Italy for the World Championships. Uh, I won a bronze medal in uh, in Brazil uh, for the Pan Ams. Uh, I traveled to the uh, the Pan American Championships for Jiu Jitsu as well in California, um, and uh, and yeah, just traveling everywhere you can think of, and uh, just competing in, in individual martial arts. And uh, it's cool now that I can put it all together. What does your family think about uh, about you doing mixed martial arts? Uh, I, I don't think they really expected it when we when we started or when I started. It was pretty much meant to uh, like for self defense, uh, being able to protect myself. Maybe I'm walking to school or just going, uh, just being able to have that security uh, with me. Um, but now I, I just fell in love with it. It's something that I really enjoy, and I've always wanted to be a professional athlete. I've always, I've always watched like uh, sports channels and, and seeing those guys uh, doing great things. And uh, I wanted to be a professional soccer player, but uh, unfortunately, I, I guess I wasn't good enough. Uh, so now uh, I'm doing something that I know I can I can succeed in, which is mixed martial arts. Who in the UFC right now would you compare yourself to? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I guess uh, comparing myself to. I want to be like George St. Pierre. I want to be better than George St. Pierre. Um, I want to do great things. And I know that's a, that's a hard task to, uh, to achieve, but uh, there's always things that can be possible. Um, and uh, and that's, that's someone, I guess, my role model for now. 
uh, and uh, that's someone who I want to surpass one day. You're undefeated as a professional. You lost your second ever amateur fight. Um, at least that, that's according to topology. I don't know how accurate that, uh, that is because some amateur fights get missed on that, that ledger. But regardless of that, what did you learn from that one loss and you haven't lost since? Yeah, that's when I started wrestling. Uh, I learned that uh, wrestling was a big part of martial arts and I wasn't really wrestling at all. Um, and uh, I met uh, my coach, Chris Prickett, who is the assistant coach at Brock University. And he showed me so many things uh, from that, that fight and and uh, how to improve my game. And, and now I feel like a complete martial artist where I was mostly stand-up and jiu-jitsu, where I didn't have that in-between that martial arts, which was wrestling, getting that takedown and being able to stop takedown. Uh, so that was a big, uh, a big thing that, that helped me up my game. So how much of a focus has that been for you? I mean, Brock University has one of the best wrestling programs, if not the best wrestling program in Canada, uh, in terms of the, uh, the university level. So how much of a, of a focus has that been, been uh, over the last couple of years? Uh, it's been it's been a huge focus. Um, it's funny because a lot of my fights, uh, people saying, "Oh, this guy's a good wrestler and all that," um, but I've never wrestled in high school and and I didn't really compete at all in university. Uh, I recently just had a wrestling match, uh, which is my first one, and, and uh, to to see that I can implement my wrestling game, not having to compete as an actual wrestler, it's pretty uh, pretty cool to see the improvements that I made over the years. So you're finally getting an opportunity at the UFC. You almost got one last year, but you were locked into a contract with the regional promotion, King of the Cage. Um, when that happened, uh, what was your reaction that when they wouldn't let you out of that contract? Uh, last year, yeah, it was kind of disappointing uh, when people are told that they can't achieve something or or they they can't achieve their dream. Then it's it's heartbreaking. But uh, everything happens for a reason, and I was able to get two more professional fights under my belt, and uh, and now I'm here again. I knew that I wasn't going to be denied to get the opportunity to fight on the show uh, or in the UFC. And, uh, and now I'm here and I'm ready to take full advantage of it and uh, get that contract. Who, who do you think you would match up well against in the UFC right now? If you look at like, some of the uh, 155ers uh, that are in the promotion right now. Uh, everyone. Once, once you get to that, uh, that level of, of the sport, you've got to be willing to accept anybody to fight. Um, the goal is to get there right now, and uh, once I get there, I'm, I'm pretty much down to, to face anybody. Uh, it's the highest level of the sport. I have to expect to fight the best guys in the world, uh, so that's not the time to be uh, picky and, and choosy uh, to who I, I, I wanted to fight. Uh, that's pretty much who they give me, and I'm ready to go, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, like I said, I'm ready to go. So I asked you before this started, I saw that you had the Canadian flag and you had another flag. And you told me that that flag was the El Salvador flag. Um, what, what does it uh, feel like to represent El Salvador as well as Canada uh, going towards a UFC dream? Oh, it's amazing. That, um, El Salvador doesn't have a lot of uh, credit for the people that they bring up. Uh, my father being one. Um, my father's uh, one of my heroes. And uh, his story is just amazing. And uh, to see that I'm able to to do something great and represent uh, the country, then uh, it's, it's an amazing, uh, it's an honor. So. Well, you can't just tell me your father's story is great and not tell me the story. What's, what's the backstory? <laughs> uh, he was just a young kid uh, in the Army, um, traveling from, uh, from El Salvador to California, uh, and then from California to, to Canada. Um, so a lot, of, uh, a lot of traveling for him, and uh, with, with the kids and, and wife and all that. Um, so just a lot of sacrifice that he's put uh, for, for his kids and his family, and uh, just I can't thank him enough for everything they've done. 
So is his work ethic something that's really rubbed off on you and gotten you to where you are today? Yeah, I, I believe so. It's something that uh, to never give up. Things get hard in life and you just got to keep pushing forward. Uh, he probably could have could have stopped in California and turned right back and go back home because uh, it was it was a hard life. Um, but he just kept pushing forward for something to achieve that, that was going to be great for his family and his kids. And uh, it's exactly what he did. And, and now he's here. We're happy and uh, everything's good. How did he? How did he and your family end up in Canada? Uh, just crossing the border. Um, he had to find a way to get to get across from the states, uh, and then and he's a Canadian citizen. Um, and just just hard work, and then long days, I'm sure. So, uh, tell me about the rest of your family. Uh, yeah, my my mother, she's a lovely person. She supports me. Uh, when a lot of people wouldn't support this this type of career for their their child. Um, but, uh, but yeah, she puts a smile on her face and she's always pushing me. Uh, and I have my little brother, Simon, who's a golden gloves boxer, uh, he's training at Nappers in, in Welland, uh, super successful. And, uh, he actually has his own podcast behind the grind, uh, where he interviews other fighters and all that. Uh, my little sister is a superstar gymnast who wants to be in the Olympics one day. And, uh, she's training like four or five hours a day, every day, uh, in the gym. And, uh, she's doing great things um so yeah my, my family is just amazing super supportive i have uh my brothers who are always supporting me uh and my uh my other sister who's always supporting me coming to my fights and everything uh so just everyone's just amazing and super supportive that's awesome sounds like you have a lot of high level achievers uh, in the romero family <laughs> uh, well it's a pleasure to meet you anthony and uh, best of luck with everything uh you're one of the top up-and-coming canadians in mixed martial arts undefeated uh, you are also the genius, and we should definitely uh, make sure we point that out. Uh, and we look forward to seeing you take that fight IQ to the UFC and to the Dana White Contender Series. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time.